Hey, I'm Charlie, and thanks for being here today. If you're already a subscriber to the show, thank you so much. You're incredible, and your support means more than you know. And if you're here for the first time, make sure you subscribe to the show, because today, like in every episode, I'm bringing you the most amazing, childless, child-free content on the internet that teaches you how to overcome those limiting beliefs you have about yourself and stop the self-sabotaging behaviors that are holding you back from embracing a life you deserve. While pursuing parenthood through non-traditional methods, a lot can feel completely out of your control. Whether facing fertility treatments, an adoption process, or third-party reproduction, you may feel like you have way too many choices to make, with none feeling quite right. Family building also comes with a lot of unsolicited advice, intrusive questions, and toxic positivity. It can be really complicated. We're continuing our season two kickoff with an incredible session that will provide some clarity and set you up for success the next time you're feeling overwhelmed about what step to take next. My special guest, Kenzie Locks, is a licensed therapist and family building coach. She provides support, education, and resources to give you peace of mind, knowing you arrived at the best decision for you and your situation, all while finding deeper connections in your relationships and strengthening your resolve for the journey ahead. This episode will shift your mindset around what family should look like. Armed with Kenzie's tools and tricks, you'll be fully prepared to ask the right questions at your next OB appointment or in working through that awkward conversation with your partner. And as a bonus, Kenzie and I also discuss how she's working with the LGBTQ plus couples to help them navigate the special challenges they face when family planning or going through infertility. Don't miss out on our incredible chat. Let's get into it. You're listening to the Life Beyond Infertility podcast with Charlie Dice, the show that teaches you how to get unstuck from the grief and loss of infertility so that you can accept and embrace a joyful life beyond it. Welcome back to another episode of the Life Beyond Infertility podcast. Today, I have another special guest, Kenzie Locks. She is a licensed clinical social worker, health and wellness coach, and a family building expert. She's also the creator of Grow Forth Family Building, and she's on a mission to support you and your path to parenthood. And I met Kenzie on Instagram a little while ago, and we kind of connected that way and We've done some a collab posts, actually, and yeah, I'm just, I'm really excited to kind of get more of your story and have the listeners learn about you. So welcome to the podcast, Kenzie. Thanks for having me. Just to start, what's your story with infertility, family building, and kind of how you got into the space you're in now? Sure. So I got involved in sort of just the family building world. I went to grad school for social work and had an interest pretty early on in working in adoption. And so I became a social worker. And while I was starting to work in adoption, I found out I had PCOS. And the doctor who diagnosed me essentially diagnosed me over the phone after looking over all my test results and scans and said, it's very unlikely you'll be able to have biological children. You know, call me if you have any questions and hung up the phone. And I was 22 or 23 at the time. So Um, I just was not in a place in my life to be planning to have children yet. That was not where I was. Uh, I was in grad school. I was newly dating a guy who would later become my husband many years later. And so I spent the next seven, eight years worried 
because this is what I'd been told. And I saw uh, a couple reproductive endocrinologists who, you know, sort of righted what that doctor said and said, you know, you really might be able to have biological children, but it's it's likely you'll need fertility treatments. We won't know how involved that will be until you try to have children. And we're regularly pressuring me to start trying to have children. And I was in grad school. I was living in a studio apartment. I was not in any kind of a long-term relationship. And so just spent years worrying. And as I headed into marriage and, you know, at that point, my fiance knew I had PCOS. He he knew that this might ha- not happen for us. Uh, I joined Instagram and I started following a lot of infertility Instagram accounts, particularly folks with PCOS, and really just getting very involved in, in caring about total strangers on the internet, all while also working in adoption with couples and singles who were trying to adopt for all different kinds of reasons, one of which was infertility for some of them. And so I was sort of surrounded by infertility all the while wondering, would I be fully in that club or not fully in that club and trying to sort of work that out? We were able to go on to have a biological child. And so that was wonderful. And also, I was already completely enveloped in the infertility community and really dedicated to working in the infertility community and had sat through, you know, seven, eight years of worrying about it and really learning all the nuances and just all the the social struggle that comes with infertility in particular really interested me and what folks were going through. And, you know, I was getting calls from folks who were waiting to adopt who were like, my mom said this, my sister said this, my friends are saying this, and and no one is being supportive in the way that I need them to be. And like, what do you do with any of that? I began, you know, as I was working at this adoption agency, I was managing a domestic infant adoption program as well as a, a program for kids with disabilities and other needs. And I started at night feeling like I want to do more of this work and in a really dedicated space where I'm really getting to know people. The program I was managing was large, you know, and I was close with so many of my clients, but there was a lot of that. The conversations I was having around the social struggles of trying to build your family were outside of my job description. I was doing them in the evening and when I could catch a spare hour to talk to somebody and I realized I wanted to be having those conversations all the time. And so I slowly in the evenings and on the weekends built Groveford Family Building, which is really dedicated toward a lot of the social struggle of toxic positivity and boundary setting and dealing with your your family and your friends and your coworkers and your acquaintances and everybody who has an opinion on how you should be doing this. And they're coming with all the advice that doesn't make any sense that you never asked for and all of that, as well as the the struggle of trying to make decisions of what am I going to do next? Am I on the right track? There's so much involved physically, financially, emotionally, everything. And trying to make those decisions is really hard, as well as like your doctor isn't the person who's going to sit there with you and spend hours talking about it and, you know, going through your cultural background and what's, you know, this going to mean if you do this in your community. And and those are all the things I love to do. And so I really built Grow Forth Family Building around decision making and the social struggle of family building. And so a big part of that is for folks with infertility, as well as single parents by choice and LGBTQ couples. So really anybody really working at becoming a parent, I'm there for it. 
That's amazing. And you mentioned toxic positivity and decision making, and that's kind of almost your niche within a niche. And so the clients that come to you, is that something that comes up a lot? How does it come up in conversation? Are they feeling shame around it, guilt around it? How does that manifest itself for you, for the people you see? I would say guilt and shame are two really very common emotions that I'm seeing. Uh, and so a lot of times I would say it's a couple different things that I feel like tend to come up. For some, it's folks who do really well in every area of their life and effort has always equaled outcome. And then suddenly they're hit with infertility. And we all know that effort has nothing to do with outcome. There are people out there putting minimal effort in and they are having babies. And there are people putting in every last ounce of effort they could possibly squeeze out of themselves. And that outcome is not a baby. And so when you're used to, you know, if I work hard enough, I I get what I'm striving for. Or if I just tried a little harder, I probably would have gotten where I wanted to. And you're not used to that not making any sense. It's really hard. And so I think that that's a big chunk of folks that come over. A lot of folks who have what I would call people-pleasing tendencies. And so, you know, they want everybody around them to approve of their decisions to say, yeah, I think you're doing the right thing. And it's how they feel most secure in their decisions is that others are sort of nodding along. I mean, we all know infertility, people have such opinions on what you should be doing, even if they have never been anywhere in proximity to infertility. And so when you're faced with that and you have people constantly around you showing up with unsolicited advice or shaming you for your difficult emotions that you're holding and saying, you know, just relax and it'll happen. You're stressing for no reason. It's probably your stress. You can't really just turn that all off when you're used to really trying to make everyone around you happy. And most folks aren't doing that intentionally. It's just ingrained into who we are. And I think especially for for folks who identify as women, it's it's really ingrained in a lot of us. And so trying to sort of turn down the volume on all these people and make decisions that serve you and serve, you know, your partner, if you have a partner, is really hard when you have that. I would say those are kind of the two big groups of people. Also, just folks who I would say are worried about ethical family building is a really big group who comes along. There are a number of pathways to parenthood. And the the ethical and values you know, decision-making pieces around this are really complicated. And there are plenty of folks who can sort of ignore ethical complications and do the mental gymnastics they need to to kind of get where they're going and and not worry about anything involved. There are other people who are like, is this really right? And those people love to come talk to me because I'm I'm here for that. I am not somebody who's going to be like, just think about yourself and don't worry about it. I'm here to say, you know, how are you going to talk to your child about this? Are you going to feel good talking to your child about this? How are you going to feel when people disagree with you? Are you going to wonder, you know, are they totally right? You know, if you're talking to an adult who came into their family the way that you're thinking about bringing a child into your family and they are saying this is not the right way to do it, how do you manage that? I work kind of people come to me for all different reasons and really are to work around the same couple of topics and niches, as you said. But I kind of just say, like, I work with great people who are trying to navigate a really difficult situation. That's that's who I work with, great people. (laughs) I love that. And I love that you identify them as that because that's exactly what they are, you know, and we're all just trying to navigate. We're all just trying to be 
what or do what we think is best, especially within our own family building journey. And for those specifically that, you know, can't build a family in a traditional sense, do you talk to them about non-traditional methods? Is that something, you know, surrogacy, egg donation, sperm donation? Is that something that comes up? Or are you seeing more of like, we're just going to try to probably navigate life childless, child-free, not by choice, however you want to identify? I talk about everything, any and everything, because these are all valid pathways forward. So whether it's, you know, I I always put non-traditional in quotes because I'm like, what is traditional anymore? But if it's, you know, considering donor conception, surrogacy, adoption, you know, any combination, continuing fertility treatments, starting fertility treatments, or it is exiting the family building pathway and entering a different phase of life and, and considering a a new future for yourself as a childless, child-free, childless, not by choice, the whole, the whole group of definitions, whatever one identifies as, they're all valid. And so I'm happy to talk to folks around that. And I think especially for folks who are struggling with ethical family building, a lot are like, so some of these paths exist, but they're not for me. And so if none of that works for me, childless might be the option or we've hit our limit, whether emotionally, physically, financially, every reason that one can finally feel like, yeah, I'm I'm at my limit. How do I exit this when this has been the goal? childlessness is a really valid option. It's a really painful option as you're trying to sort of exit and enter into this new phase. It's It can be really hard to let go. It can absolutely be the right thing to do. And so, you know, I'm here only to to validate the choices in front of somebody. Yeah. And I really appreciate you validating that. I mean, obviously that's kind of the niche that I work in is that exit or after the exit. But I think it's important for people to know that even if you're still trying to decide to get to that point, any means is valid. I mean, anything that you think about growing your family or any method, like you said, it's what is traditional anymore anyway. I just I do want to validate that for everybody out there that no matter what path you choose to take, it's your path and your as your choice, your body or not your body, but it's it's whatever is comfortable for you. And I want to jump back to your story for just a second because I didn't realize that when we had talked previously, how pressured you were by your medical providers to get started, so to speak, on your family building. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I know a lot of women that I talk to that are in their early to mid-20s are feeling the same thing and and being told the same thing. You know, you need to start now before things start to go downhill. It's sort of a doomsday type push that some medical providers are talking to their patients about. Can you just kind of go through your thought process or how you felt and and how you stayed strong to not give in and say, I'm just not ready yet? It was like looking back on it now. I mean, it was at this point 10 years ago. Yeah, maybe even a little more. And it continued for several years of seeing that particular provider. These were elderly male doctors. It was a practice of two doctors. So I saw both of them. And that was really the messaging. And one was lovely. And one was always pushing like a supplement or something that had a space on it and a book that had a space on it. So like you can kind of get a vibe of that. 
And I was going to them for like normal OBGYN and for scans just to like check on, you know, my ovaries and what was going on and managing thyroid issues that were coming in tandem with PCOS and all of that. And every time I was there for probably, I guess I probably saw them for two or three years. It was like, are you settling down? Are you ready to start trying? You need to start trying. And when it first started, like I said, I was in grad school. I was living in a studio apartment that like my, I was in grad school. My parents were still helping me out with rent. I was babysitting and nannying every spare moment of the day and night, just trying to like get my groceries. Internet kept getting turned off because I would not pay it on time. I was in that phase of life. Like it, and that's like, I felt like I was like, yep, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I had a boyfriend who was now my husband, but at the time he's going to be so embarrassed when he hears this. He like wouldn't leave a t-shirt at my house because that was too much commitment for him. And he's like, what if we break up on the phone? I don't have my t-shirt from Uniqlo anymore. And so, you know, it was just, it was like not the phase of life to to have a baby. Like I, you know, not at all. So I saw these doctors for a couple of years and it was just like, what are you doing? When are you doing it? And I had been very like, okay, well, I'll get out of grad school and I'm going to have all the student loan debt. And I was becoming a social worker. And you know, when you're becoming a social worker, what you pay annually for school is not even going to equal your salary when you start. I got a long road ahead of me before I'm ready to have a baby. And I had also been a little unsure of if I necessarily wanted kids. Like I was like, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Like it's not necessarily 100% a given for me that that's what I want. But the fear of that decision being taken away, like that's not what I wanted either. As I like said, I just was nervous for seven, eight years. I saw those doctors for a while and then I eventually switched. I got the feeling and and some proof that maybe some of what they'd been telling me was was not accurate, not even about like my diagnosis, but about some other stuff. This feels like some scare tactics to to sell some products with your face on them. So that was the end of it for me. I'm great at cutting people off when the neon sign is really flashing. So I saw some other doctors who really put it in front of me like we nobody knows with PCOS. There are people who get pregnant unintentionally with PCOS. And there are people who IVF won't work and they will have to use other methods like and everybody in between. And that was maybe even more scary, you know, because at least I had the truth, but it was scary. And at this point, I had done a lot of my own looking around the internet and talking to folks with lived experience about their experiences. But yeah, I don't know if I necessarily stayed strong. I definitely wasn't pressured to like go get pregnant at 25 because I am a stubborn little mule. And there was like There was no doing that until I felt ready to do that on top of my husband was would never have (laughs) done that at the time. I think 20 somethings are, you know, it's like it's it feels like everyone is on opposite poles. Some are being pressured nonstop. I was. And other people I've talked to are they're 35 and their doctor had never even talked to them about you know, age does matter. And, you know, it is a concern and it is something to think about. And so the only thing that they had really heard was obnoxious relatives being like, tick tock your biological clock, which that's not helpful. Like that's not medical information. And so both sides, I think, are feeling very bizarre pressure to figure out their timeline. And if you do it too early, you're wrong. If you do it too late, you're wrong. Like there's just no great answer. Societally speaking, I think just like women are being pressured around their biology. And I think some of us 
we don't have the diagnoses we think we do and others don't know they have a diagnosis a diagnosis and you know it's i don't know if we can say the word crapshoot on this podcast but it's a crapshoot but i think so much of this is a shoot like you could do everything right and nothing happens and you can do everything wrong and you have a baby like it's just it's a crapshoot yeah it really is i do appreciate you bringing up the other side of that coin with the women who like you said end up in their 30s but then have never been talked to by their doctor. And I think that's also a disservice too, because if those women, maybe they felt afraid to bring up the topic, even to their OB. I know for me, I was not ready to have a child in my 20s, similar to you. And so when we started trying, it ended up, you know, we have other issues, but it was almost a too little too late thing. And I just wish that, I wish there was a more happy medium from the medical profession where we're not like use scare tactics and pressuring, but we're also not acting like age doesn't matter. Because like you said, it does. I don't know what the solution is to kind of finding a happy medium there. I feel like if we keep bringing up the issue, hopefully the conversation will spark interest from the medical community. Do you talk to the medical community through grow for fourth family building? Is that something that you're trying to make connections with them to maybe bring more awareness to the type of dialogue that is really helpful and harmful to women, people who identify as women in general around fertility? It's definitely a goal for me. I am trying to do it. I have had some interactions mostly on Instagram, particularly around like mental health services and infertility especially around baby loss. Like there are some doctors who are like, oh, a counseling referral after a miscarriage or stillbirth is an insult to a woman. We shouldn't be just offering counseling services to everybody who has a loss. That's an insult. And I got into it with with a doctor on Instagram over that. I was like, are you kidding? Like I ran a poll and 95% were like a referral would have been nice because at least that's a decision. Like you have information. The act of having to call your, you know, insurance and figure out who's like available is when you're grieving is just not humanly possible for most people. I have spoken here and there to the medical community. It is something I try to do. I did, I did think this through uh, a while ago, and I made a reel that got passed around a little bit around like doctors sometimes need to think a little bit more like therapists and come in with questions, not just expect you to bring all your questions and they have all the answers, but ask a couple of questions that you ask to everyone between this age and this age. And if they're like, no, I'm planning to be child free. Great. You throw those questions away and you mark like we're not here to have this conversation. But if they're like, no, not yet. Asking, what do you know about your fertility? What do you know about trying to have a baby? Is there anything in your medical history, you know, your moms, your aunts, your grandmas, if you know their medical history, is there any trouble conceiving for them? I have miscarriages all over my family history. I have, you know, folks were able to conceive, but there was a lot of loss before me and in various women in my family. And like nobody ever asked me that. And these are the kind of questions that might have been helpful. When I was diagnosed with PCOS, nobody, they were like, does anybody in your family have PCOS? PCOS wasn't like a common diagnosis recently. And then after I went out and learned about the symptoms myself, I was like, there's no way that like they would all be diagnosed at this point. We're all walking around with these symptoms. And I just wish that there was more question asking. 
I also can recognize that the medical community is really burdened and there's not enough doctors, there's not enough time with patients for them to sit down and have the bedside manner of a counselor when that is not being taught to them is a really big reach. Um, But I do think there's a reason for that. And just asking a couple of questions of, do you think you want to have a kid? What Would you have an idea of what age or what needs to be in place for you before you're ready to do that? Those questions can mean everything because somebody could walk in and go, yeah, I think I'll be ready when I'm like 40, 42. And that should be a great red flag of, okay, tell me more about what you know about conceiving at 40, 42, because they may know. They may absolutely know. They may be like this. I've spoken to people who are like, oh, yeah, I know if I wait this long, these are the chances and these are the pathways I'm comfortable with going through and this is what I'm able to do. And I've spoken to people who, like I said, are over 35 into their 40s who are like, nobody ever asked me or told me that I could have trouble conceiving at 40. And when I talk about that, other people will be like, they should have known. But like, really get decent sex ed in this country at this point. Like, you're just supposed to magically know everything about your body. It's a disservice. We need to do better. And so I definitely am out there yelling about it as much as I can. We need to talk to people. We need to just ask people, what do you know? Because they may know or they may say, I know nothing about my fertility. That may mean hand them a pamphlet, like have a conversation, have something on hand. Right. And don't add to their shame about it because I think a lot of people are afraid to say that they don't know or afraid to ask questions because then they get shamed intentionally or not intentionally into, well, why didn't you know that? Or everybody knows that, you know, and I do, like you, recognize that the medical community in general, no matter what specialty you're in, is very overburdened and and overworked and understaffed. And But I think that lends itself then even more to leaning on the therapy world and leaning on the counselor and coaching spaces to, okay, you can ask maybe four or five leading questions to try to get just a little bit more history about what this patient knows. But then let me refer you to this therapist, counselor, coach, whatever, to take the burden off of the the practitioner, but then also provide very specialized support in a mental health capacity too. And I know you said about the referral programs just not being there. That was my experience as well after each of my miscarriages. And even to this day, when I got into coaching, I asked specifically of my OB's office, is there any sort of infertility support group that you guys at least offer after a woman has suffered a loss? And the answer was no. And then I asked, well, is there any way that you know I can post on your bulletin board in your office, like that this is available just to kind of create a sense of community, let them know that they're not alone. And the answer was, oh, that goes against hospital policy. And I thought that's the whole problem is that, you know, we feel so isolated and alone in general after a loss like that. And then to have that medical establishment say, or be flippant about it and kind of just brush it under the rug. Oh, you don't need that service. Like that's just really astounding to me. I agree. And I, I've i spoken to, you know, other folks who have been through a loss. They're like, is my doctor just so desensitized? They're just, they're diagnosing losses left and right. They're delivering 
stillborn babies. Like they just are used to it. Is that what it is? I've had people, they come in and they've just had a loss and the doctor's like, this happens to this percent of women, just try again. And that's all they get from their doctor sometimes. And some doctors are really good. I've heard some really wonderful stories of doctors being supportive, but that feels like the minority of stories I hear. And this idea that just because this is common, that it shouldn't be painful, is completely out of this world. And it just doesn't make any sense. And I think that this is such a such an issue just socially as well, like outside of the medical world, but daughters opening up to their moms and their mom being like, oh, I had one, your aunt had one, it is what it is. And others who hold their family member and are, it's awful and I've been there and are able to really sit in solidarity, but you don't know what you're going to get. And like that, I just have also heard so much of too, of women who are like, I'm so close with this friend, this relative, and I opened up and they shut me down that like I just needed to buck up bucko. And others who were like, I opened up and I had this wonderful response. It's just such a polarizing experience because you really don't know what you're going to get because we're we're not sitting around talking about miscarriage until we're in it. You know what I mean? It's to me, at least with your medical team, like having some softness and some kindness and some empathy could go so far because that's often the first person who you talk to, you know, to at least start there with them and then, you know, get your referral, get a brochure of, yes, this is common. And also it's terrible and I'm sorry. A brochure could do more work than some of these doctors are doing. And so I just would love things to look differently. And the fact that you posting is against hospital policy when you're like, I would like to support people. There's lots of people out here trying to support people and we're all stuck trying to like advertise and go on Instagram and like fight for referrals so that we can be acknowledged. We're out here. We're waving our arms. We want to help. We want to walk alongside folks while they go through this terribly hard situation. And there are professionals who are faced with this every day being like, no, nah, they're fine. Like, we can't. Sorry. Good luck to you. You know, I wish we could. Like, can't we just all hold hands and like <laughs> support people through something really hard? I wish it was. I just wish things were simpler. I'm not anti-establishment. I'm not anti. I honestly, I had one OB after my first miscarriage who she gave me her personal cell phone number. Ugh. She called me after the proceed after my DNC that night. And then she would follow up with me on her personal cell phone. I was just thinking about you and I just wanted to see how you were doing. So, I mean, she was phenomenal. And unfortunately, she left the practice. But yeah, so I do not want to say, you know, I'm not generalizing, but I do think, like you said, that just a little bit of compassion, a little bit of empathy and a little less clinical would go yeah. a long way, yeah. especially in this community. I'm not anti-establishment either. I've had a wonderful batch of OBGYNs. I just had one who delivered my son. He retired, but he was like the most wonderful doctor and just so supportive through everything leading up to giving birth and after and checking in similarly. And now I always laugh. I have an OBGYN that I have to make sure I have nothing else scheduled that day because I'll be in that waiting room for an hour and a half. And she's always so apologetic, but then she'll spend 45 minutes with me. And like any question, any any little thing, oh, you just mentioned this one little thing. I want to make sure that you've thought about this. And she's always so apologetic that she's late. And I'm like, but you're late because you're definitely having this kind of conversation with every last person you talk to. I will do work in your waiting room for an hour and a half just to get this time with you because 
there's some really great doctors out there. I wish they could all be that way. But I love that you had that one doctor who was able to show up for you that Yes, she was amazing. You don't need to be like those examples that I gave and you gave of like the above and beyond doctors, but just asking a couple questions and and spending a little bit more than 10 minutes in the exam room, yeah. you know, to get your vitals and, oh, yep, everything's great, medication's working, and then out the door. I do want to ask you, because I know you you specifically work with the LGBTQ community, and that's a focus of your practice and everything. Kind of how did you get into that? Are there challenges that they're facing that you're seeing that might be different than the the heterosexual communities out there? Yeah, I have always happily worked with anyone in the LGBTQ plus community. I've had jobs outside of family building as a social worker, working with folks and just really starting to see a lot of the the nuance and stigmatization and just the challenges that are put in front of the LGBTQ community by community at large and policy and whatnot. I am a really big believer that if you want to be a parent and you're going to do your best to be a good parent, I want to help you become a parent. Like that's, you know, I none of anything else matters to me. I'm all for all of that. When I worked in adoption, I was in a very inclusive program. And so probably over half the families I worked with were LGBTQ families some of the most wonderful parents I've ever gotten to work with and future parents I've ever gotten to work with. I have no need to limit myself or my services, not what I'm about. And so while I certainly work with folks going through infertility, like to me, that feels as much as it's something that's so close to my heart. I could never limit myself there because it feels like I'm saying I will help you become a parent, but not you become a parent. And certainly LGBTQ folks can be going through infertility. I don't want to pretend that that's not a situation. but I just am here to support people who want to be good parents, become parents, or or exit the family building journey and figuring that out. Yeah. I mean, are there struggles to becoming an LGBTQ parent? Like, yes. <laughs> Especially, I mean, more and more every day, the way our country and our world is going. And depending state by state and country by country, like it's just a bit of a whirlwind. And I friendly with a lot of really amazing adoption and reproductive attorneys to understand nuances across the country to make sure that we are thinking about every last protection. Because you look at what's happening in Italy with lesbian moms having the non-carrying parents stripped from birth certificates. You look at different states trying to make sure that anybody who isn't straight and Christian, you know, that they can't adopt. There's just so many barriers very intentionally being built. And I want to find every last crack in every one of these barriers and put some dynamite in and help people and make sure that if we are building a family, we are building it in a way that is going to protect you and protect your child. Because there are plenty of folks who are like, yeah, just go do this thing. And they're not thinking about the legal ramifications. They're not saying, what if something happens to one of you? What if you're, you end up, you know, separated or divorced? You both need to make sure you're the legal parent. And these are the things that nobody questions for straight couples. That's not a problem. Like this doesn't happen. So making sure that families are preserved and protected and that these kids don't have to, don't have to carry as much weight as the these society would like them to have to carry. It just makes me angry. And so I I feel very passionately about it. I have pictures on 
my wall of families I've helped bring together and I, I love each and every one of them. And I want to make sure that these families continue and can grow safely and so in, a, in a supportive environment. Happy to provide that wherever I can. And the reason I brought that up is because obviously I have a podcast, but I listen to a lot of podcasts and specifically a lot of fertility podcasts. And you just don't really hear that topic brought up or you don't see the representation there for, you know, those communities. My whole goal with this podcast is to be a safe space for everybody that whether they end up having children or not, just to bring awareness to that community. I have family members within that community. My husband's family runs a foster care agency and see a lot of applications come through from that community. And exactly like they they just have so many additional barriers that the the straight Christian, white, whatever, don't have. And it just, like you said, I mean, it's just such a, a disservice because they are some of the best parents that are out there. So absolutely. And I will say with especially with Instagram, I always am just Instagram is this magical, strange little world. But there are, you know, LGBTQ couples, singles, building families very publicly on Instagram. And some of them have been through struggle to build those families very much due to infertility. And I think shining a light on that because there is just this this vision in our head of what does infertility look like and what doesn't it look like. So much of that has to do with who's who's holding the microphone and who's, you know, having the microphone put in front of them and who's not. And so I just am always so pleased and appreciative of folks elevating each other's voices, putting their own voices out there to say, yeah, we are a lesbian couple. And there's some assumption that because there's two uteruses involved here, this was really easy. And actually, you know, it took this many miscarriages. It took this many cycles of IVF. Like it took this many years thinking it would be really quick for it not to be really quick on top of all the legal and all the financial and all of these pieces that even infertile couples don't necessarily have to go through. I just I'm so appreciative. There's some really amazing accounts out there that have really shed a lot of light on that. No, I appreciate you bringing that up and, and talking about it and like I said, just continuing the conversation and bringing awareness to it because it is really important, especially in the current environment that we live in. I just want to say that I really appreciate you taking the time working with that community and supporting them. I want to respect your time. I know you're a mom and you're busy and you've got all kinds of stuff going on. Does it how it's been very important? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Being a mom doesn't mean that I'm more busy than anybody else. As I like to say, we're all busy. True. Yeah. I always like to ask my guests this question at the end, and it doesn't have to be related to your professional life. It can be something personal. It doesn't have to be related to fertility at all. But if you could look back and tell your 18-year-old self anything, any piece of advice that you would give that girl, what would that be and why? What a good question. Um, wow. I wish I could just like write down exactly what my day looks like and hand it to her and be like, this is what your day will like look like in 2023. Just plan accordingly. It's all going to be fine. My life looks so different from what I assumed it would look like. I, when I was 18, I entered college for creative writing. I thought I was going to write fiction books. 
And obviously just the turn of events, the, the multiple turns of events along the way. I'm just laughing. I went to high school with my now husband, but we'd never spoken a word. But we're like next to each other in our prom photos, but we never talked to them. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine how funny that would be to be like, this is what your life looks like. I, I, like, I would tell my husband, like, I would not date you in, in high school. Sorry. Oh, I totally would have dated my husband. But he was just a quiet little guy. Um, That's so funny. Yeah. I think I would say... If I couldn't give her an entire anthology of exactly what my day looks like, I think I would say just because you think it should be a certain way doesn't mean that's the only way it will work out. And I think I try to kind of carry that with me. I am somebody who has really liked to hold on to as much control as I can over everything around me. It was, it was something that, especially at 18, made me feel safe to feel in control. And anytime anything kind of wobbled, I was so over the top worried about it it's something i've really worked on we're all out here nobody's really controlling anything very well and like trying is you know not really working out and so just coming through with it will all be okay you don't need to hold on to all this control and just because you think this is how it should be doesn't mean it's the only way i think that would have been very helpful to know at 18 and at 22 and 27 and, and onward and onward well into my 30s and then I've had guests say, you know, it would be really nice, though, even if I told my 18 year old self that if they would actually like listen, because I don't think I would have listened. I think if I knew so. it was coming from like my almost 34 year old self, I would listen. I would write like to think. But I also just stubborn little knew everything kind of 18 year old like most of us probably. So right. who knows, right? But I love you want to give your 18 year old self an anthology because I'm a very type A control freak too. I do really appreciate that answer because I think it's very insightful and very helpful and very tuned in to the person that you are. So thank you for that. Thank you. And if people want to find more information out about the services you offer, where's the best place to find you? Sure. My website is Growforth Family Building. Growforth is G-R-O-W-F-O-R-T-H family building, all one, you know, big giant word.com. So growforthfamilybuilding.com. And I am on Instagram at growforthfamilybuildings. I'm on some other social media. Don't bother. I can't keep up with it all. But Instagram is definitely where I am most uh, and my website. And so I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching to around all these, you know, issues we spoke about at the top, as well as a lot of free events and it's some free guides and things like that. It's all on the website. Definitely check Kenzie out. We'll put all of her links in the show notes so that it's simple to find her. Kenzie, thank you again so much for coming on. I'm so glad we met and connected. And I'd love to have you on again sometime. There's a lot more to unpack. And <laughs> thank you so much for, for being on the podcast today. Of course. Thank you. And I would totally come back. You and I could chat all day. So absolutely. Thanks for listening. You're incredible, and I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you haven't done so already, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss when a new episode airs. And the other thing I want you to do after listening to this episode is this. Visit my website, charliedice.com backslash roadmap. That's where you'll find my free gift for you. It's a little download I put together with six steps you can take right now to start embracing a joyful life outside of infertility. Again, that's charliedice.com backslash roadmap.